0: And we'll come back and focus just on one verse this morning. So follow with me, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 11, says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what, are, but what we are is known to God, and I hope is known also to your conscience. We are not, condemning, we are not commending ourselves to you again but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in a right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who For our sakes, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive. I'm sorry, appeal to you not to receive grace of God in vain. For he says, "In favorable time I listened to you, and in the days of salvation I have helped you." Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so in this text, we see some very important and perhaps familiar concepts that are uh, presented by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church. We had this book labeled 2 Corinthians because it's at least the second letter that he is writing to the Corinthians. If you recall your Bible history, Paul spent some time in Corinth teaching and establishing the church there. This second letter was written in large part because some Men came in behind him and were teaching contrary not only to what Paul had taught them, but also to the very doctrines of the scripture. And so he spends a great deal of time in this letter encouraging those who are receiving it to remember, to put their faith in the Lord, that they have been reconciled and saved by God's grace. And to some degree, defending himself and his testimony to them via the word of God. And warning them not to follow after anyone or anything else that teaches contrary to the scriptures or contrary to what he is teaching. So he's making his case, if you will, throughout this book uh, for himself. And that's why we see mixed in this a discussion about himself and not having regard for himself or perhaps being out of his mind or uh, appearing to be um, so fervently passionate about Christ that some would call him insane. In fact, he was called that multiple times, we know from the scriptures. I believe it was Festus himself, said Paul, much learning has caused you to go insane. But in the midst of this, he tells us some very important things. And I want to focus, as I said, on verse 14, where it says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. I've preached on this before, and your translation may have a different word there. It may say, for the love of Christ uh, compels us or controls us or constrains us or urges us. All of these are appropriate and right responses to this concept. And what we see here is this literal idea that we are being held together, that we are being compressed, that we are being kept in throughout our lives by God's love. You could almost interpret this and say that what Paul is saying here, the Apostle Paul, is that Christ has, um, has him captive to do God's work. Now, I think, and I've preached on this before, but it's been a long time, I think we are all compelled or controlled by something. All of us. Whether we like to admit it or not, some of us are controlled or compelled by our passions Some by our logic, some by money, some by family. You could fill in the gap. We all seem to be compelled by something. And if we're not, we don't generally take any type of action in life. So we are uh, brought forth. We are compelled. We are controlled. We are urged by something in our lives. And perhaps one of the great questions is, what is it that controls you? What is it that controls you? But let me again, focus on verse 14, at least the first half for now. Let me read this again. For the love for Christ controls us. I purposely misread that. The love for Christ controls us. Did you catch it? I changed one word, and in fact I just Moved around a letter and added one letter. And one very simple, I took a a, a two-letter word to a three-letter word. Instead of saying the love of Christ controls us, I said the love for Christ controls us. Now there's a very important and stark difference here that I want to highlight today. This is where I'm at. This is where I think is very important for us to understand. And the reality is I think most people and maybe many of us here who confess to be believers functionally live as though it is the love for Christ that compels and controls us. In other words, we want to place this back on our own selves and say, well, if I don't do like I should do, it's because I don't have enough love for Christ, you see. If I don't live and perform the way I should, it's because I don't do well enough living for Christ. I don't love him like I should. And that may and well be true in some regards. You may not love him like you should. But let us not under, uh, forget that the scripture doesn't say for the love of, for Christ controls us. But the love of Christ controls us. It is not based on how much we love God for how much He loves us back. And as I said, we may understand that mentally, but many of us live, although it is exactly the opposite. God loves us more than we can ever love Him. End of story. And I'm thankful that it's not based on my love for Him, but on His love for me. Let's put this another way. Let me give you an example. It's not as though after um, Christ was taken back up to earth, after he defeated death, he was sitting in heaven waiting for just the right person who loved him the most to come along. So he could come down and say, finally, I've got this guy named the Apostle Paul and he loves me more than anybody else. I'm going to use him to do things that I've never done before. No, in fact, if you recall in the book of Acts, we find Paul on his way to arrest and murder Christians when God intervened and showed God's love for him. It wasn't Paul's love that, for Christ that was so good that got him this position, you see. We get this confused all the time. Over and over again through Scripture, we tend to look at these amazing characters, these amazing people who lived during this time and think about what a great person, uh, Solomon or Daniel or Deborah or fill in your favorite Sunday school character. But the reality is they all had flaws. None of them were perfect. None of them necessarily loved God more than we do. But God loved God them and loved them first and loved them more for the love of christ as in his love controls or compels us not the other way around let me read briefly in romans chapter 5 6 through 11 romans chapter 5 6 through 11 leave a marker in second corinthians we'll be back there Romans 5, 6-11 through 11 reads as following, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one should dare to even, even to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we see the tying together of these two concepts. We are told in very explicit, very clear terms that we didn't love God first. In fact, we are enemies of God and he loved us anyway. It wasn't that we were so good, as the scripture clearly uh, says, that he just came and died for us because we were just so good. We were just trying so hard to be such good disciples. In fact, we were exactly the opposite. We were God's enemies and he loved us anyway. And then so many of us who have understood this and received God's grace will then turn this later on its head and say, well, I'm not being good enough, so God isn't blessing me. I'm not loving him like I should, therefore God isn't blessing me. And the reality is, if he loved you when you were an enemy, he loves you when you're his. And it isn't my love for God that compels me. It's God's love for me. And we get this turned around and we get this backwards and we get looking at the wrong thing and focusing on the wrong thing. God loved us first. And it wasn't because of my good behavior. And God still loves us. And it still isn't for my good behavior. Everything I do is good, is useless to God. Most of us, I think, understand this. For by grace you were saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we often, again, forget that none of that changes after we're saved either. Our love for him is not what controls us. It's his love for us. James 5.17 gives us an example of this. It says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Elijah was just like us. God didn't favor him because he was so good. God didn't favor him and give him the power to stop the rain because he somehow deserved it, because he somehow earned it, because he loved God better or in a different way than others. No, God gave him that power because he loved Elijah. It's the other way around. And so it makes you wonder, what could we really do in our lives if we truly lived into this rather than trying to earn favor with God? So what makes some of us more controlled than others? Because this seems somewhat unsatisfactory, doesn't it? Well, Let's read the second half of verse 14 back in 2 Corinthians. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. You see, the answer is this. If you want God to control you, if you want God to compel you, if you want God to hem you in and move you in the direction that only he can move you, if you want to have the power of Elijah to make it stop raining, if you want to have the power of Paul to endure hardships and still clearly articulate the gospel, if you want to have the love of God, then you must be thinking about the love of God. And by that, the greatest love that God has demonstrated is what? Jesus Christ crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, and my sins forgiven. And if you want the love of God in your life for the love of Christ to control you, then you must spend time thinking, contemplating, and praying on him crucified. That is what the Bible clearly tells us. If we want to be controlled by God, if we want to be controlled by God and compelled to do what He wants us to do, if we want to be closer to God, then we must stop and consider what it cost Him to reconcile me, as the scriptures tell us. It almost sounds, in a way, a little too easy, doesn't it? Maybe it'd be better if I could tell you, well, do these seven things, and God will control you. It's one thing, it's one thing that leads to everything else. If you need to be saved, then you should concentrate on what Christ did for you. If you're already saved and you need to be controlled by him, led and guided by him, then you need to concentrate on his Son. It is the gospel, it is the power of the gospel that changes men, that gives us sight, that makes us, as the scripture tells us later on, that anyone in Christ is a new creation, a new creature. You have come alive, and it is our dying duty then to look unto Him. 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, Paul tells us in the first letter he wrote, For I have determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified we see the theme that is in the scriptures over and over again? For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one died for all and therefore all have died. Jesus Christ's sacrifice is what we are to focus on. It's what we're to think about. It's what we're to write and sing songs about. It's what we're to talk about when we talk with other people. It's what I'm to preach on. Christ crucified and all of that will in turn Help us to understand just how much Christ loved us, and as a result, will allow us to be controlled. And that's really it. That's the secret. As Hebrew letter tells us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand on the throne of God. Looking unto Jesus. We can read through the scriptures and think about all these amazing people. We can read this passage and say, for the love of Christ controls us, and think to ourselves, well, I'm not being controlled very well. I have a hard time controlling myself. And well, we may. But the answer isn't a five-step program for this or to just say this or just to read this the answer to being controlled and compelled by god is to understand his love and to look into his love and the only way that is displayed or the primary most important way is through the death and burial and resurrection of jesus christ and so what's apparently going to be a very short message this morning (laughs) that's okay i guess if you want to be controlled by God, we have to look to his son. If you want to live a life worthy of the calling, then you have to be controlled and think about his son. If you want to try and remove the sin that is in your life, then you have to look unto him If you want to love others as you need to love them, then look unto him and stop trying anything else that you're trying to do other than looking unto him. So that you are controlled, that you are compelled, that you are literally held together to do what he'd want you to do just by understanding that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. And those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was raised. Because Jesus Christ was raised for you. He was also crucified for you. That is the love that our God has that he knows us. That he knew that we were enemies, and that anyway, he sent his son at just the right time. That we might become anyone in Christ is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, whom through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us to the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you. On behalf of Christ. To be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation." Brothers and sisters, now is the time. Today is the day. If you're lost and you're not saved, then look unto Jesus crucified, buried, and resurrected. If you are here today and you've been saved and you want to be controlled and compelled to do the right thing, then look unto Jesus, Him crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected. The same vision, the same looking unto Him will result in the same thing, a changed life it does not depend on me and it does not depend on you. It's not how much my love for him compels me, but it's understanding that his love for me compelled him to the cross, compelled him to conquer death, compelled him to sit at the right hand of God making intercessions for me. And his love controls us if we would only but look unto Him.